ready for another episode of Wizards After Dark. Following a Wizards loss, 112 to 111 in Charlotte, a game they really had to win, and they just couldn't pull out. Bobby Portis may have gotten fouled on an offensive rebound at the end, probably got fouled, is already tweeted at the refs by the time I'm recording this. Uh, Bradley Beal ended up missing a shot on the very last offensive possession, and the Wizards fell. Beal with really his worst game, maybe of the season. Four for 21 from the field. We're doing a solo podcast tonight. I'm Fred Katz. I cover the Wizards for The Athletic, and I'm the host of Wizards After Dark, and I'm here with literally nobody else. I'm just solo podcasting. I wasn't at the game tonight. I stayed in D.C. and watched it at home. So I'm just, I'm actually going to do a pretty quick one. They play again tomorrow night in Minnesota. I'm going to have a guest after the Minnesota game. So I'm going to do kind of a quick one tonight. And honestly, now that the Wizards are... They're at the time I'm recording this, four back in the loss column of Miami. Miami is beating Cleveland as we, or as I speak. Moving forward, depending on where the Wizards are in the playoff standings, depending on where they are in the lottery standings, uh, the format of the show might change a little bit here or there. I'm just, you know, being up front, I haven't 100% decided on what I'm going to end up doing, but there might just be, for now, some shorter post-game episodes and that kind of stuff. Today is going to be a little bit of a shorter one. Uh, since I'm soloing and you don't have to hear me talking to myself for uh, 18 minutes straight when I usually go for like 20 minutes or whatever it is. Uh, the first thing I do want to talk about just real quick and then I'm going to take a couple questions that I fielded in on Twitter. That was like, okay, so the final 25 seconds of the game, you get Charlotte rushing the ball up the floor up 112 to 111. James Borrego, Charlotte coach, calling a timeout. Kemba Walker then fielding the ball on an inbounds pass. Cody Zeller setting a nice screen for him in the backcourt, which squared up Thomas Sadoransky and freed Kemba Walker. And Kemba chucking up a three with like 23 seconds left or whatever the heck it was on the game clock and still seven, maybe it was less than 20, but still seven left on the shot clock. Just chucking an off-balance three. I don't know why he took that shot so early in the shot clock with them up one and when the clock is your friend and you want to drain as much time as you possibly can. I promise you. I guess because he felt freed up, he was like, I'm going to take that shot. In some way, that screen was like a blessing for the Wizards. I mean, that was weird execution. And then the Wizards' uh, possession to close it when they had double-digit seconds remaining was really weird execution. It was a weird play call. They just cleared out for Beal on the left side and basically let him do a baseline isolation against his primary defender. So they matched up Dwayne Bacon against Bradley Beal. And they didn't even like, you know, a lot of those situations you'll see, and the Wizards do this, like you'll see Bradley Beal run off a screen, run off a stagger screen and try to get open there. And and it looked like it might have been botched. Uh, that final play. And I don't know exactly what they were supposed to do because I wasn't in the locker room to ask people and I wasn't in the locker room to ask Scott Brooks and ask Beal, ask Jeff Green, who he did a little... Uh, so Jeff Green and Beal did a little twirl around each other, which you see often on like floppy actions on the baseline. And it looked like maybe one of them was supposed to screen the other one and then run off of it, but neither of them actually laid a screen. And I don't know if that was just missed execution or if they actually ran that right. But either way, in effect, there was no actual screen for Beal. And he just kind of came out and ended up fielding an inbound pass on the left side and then went to work on Bacon from there. Everyone else just kind of cleared out. And that was it. And I think this is kind of one of those situations where you see the Wizards' lack of shooting hurt them. So, like, the Wizards didn't need a three on this play. And I'm not saying they should have played for a three. But if you want to do a clear out on the left side for Beal, that ideally your best lineup 
is playing three-point shooters and spreading, so at least he has more space. By the time Bradley Beal got into the lane, he was like totally converged upon, and that's why he got his shot blocked. And he said he was fouled after the game in the scrum. I don't know. I couldn't really tell if he was fouled or not. Uh, but that's why everyone's converging on him. Like Thomas Sadoransky is a very good catch-and-shoot three-point shooter, but he's not volume enough to where it's going to scare people. And I'm not even saying Scott Brooks put out a bad lineup. That's probably the lineup that you do. You want Bobby Portis in there because you have enough time for an offensive rebound, and Portis can actually, you know, if he ventures from the rim, he can still shoot something. Jeff Green has been a good three-point shooter this year. And guys, more importantly, guys guard him when he's on the perimeter. Trevor Ariza, obviously. And then you got Beal working. And, like, that lineup is fine. Like, who are you going to put in that's going to add some more stretch? Like Sam Decker or, or you know, Chase Randall is a good three-point shooter, but he's not going to move the needle in terms of spacing or anything like that. Uh, so, like, I get it. Like, Troy Brown had been playing well, but he's not going to space the floor on those plays. So that lineup makes perfect sense. I just thought that, like, a play like that, when you run that sort of play, you don't have Beal working against the mismatch. You had him have him working against the guy that James Borrego wanted him working against. It just stands out when you don't that you don't have that many shooters on this team. This is a team that's bottom five in the league in three-point shooting now. Uh, and and I just thought that became painfully obvious on that last play, along with the fact that it just um, it wasn't it wasn't all too creative. And Scott Brooks, I mean, look, Scott Brooks has had some solid enough uh, ATOs this year, and they often involve guys coming off of some kind of screen and and fielding the ball at the top of the key, and this time he tried to work it in the side. And I, I think they probably messed up the execution. I think there was probably supposed to be a Jeff Green screen. But the problem is, okay, now I'm just now I'm just talking stream of consciousness. If Jeff Green is setting the screen, like, why is Jeff Green the screener? Jeff Green's not a good screener. Like, maybe if that's what you're trying to do, you do that with Thomas Bryant, and then he's your big, not Bobby Portis. I just don't really know why Jeff Green is your screener. If he is... If that was just a botched screen and it was botched so bad that it didn't even look like it was a screen. Uh, because a lot of Jeff Green screens look like that. That's why they don't pick and pop with Jeff Green very often. Because Jeff Green's not a screen setter. That's why they don't pick and roll with him very often. Like Wall used to pick and roll with him at the beginning of the year. But nobody else really does because Jeff Green's not really a screen setter. So yeah, maybe that's, especially off-ball screens. So maybe, I don't know. It was weird. It was real weird all around. This podcast, solo podcasting is weird, man. It's just me talking to myself, and I'm just stream of consciousness this thing all the way through. Uh, let me take a couple questions before we wrap up. The first one from Reggie Williams. Uh, what is Troy Brown Jr.'s ceiling and floor? Troy Brown was really good tonight, and I understand Scott Brooks. I, I actually really do understand Scott Brooks not playing him the final five minutes of this game. It makes sense. You go with your starters. You go with your reliable guys. And honestly, the role players were really good tonight. Like, Troy Brown wasn't the only guy who was good. Sato played a very solid game. Bobby Portis was very good. He had 23-9, and and he shot 10 of 16 from the field, and he was good. Jabari Parker had a really nice game. Thomas Bryant had a really nice game. Sam Decker provided some energy and a little bit of scoring, and he actually finished around the rim a little bit. The role players were good. It was, Beal was 4 for 21, so it was his worst game of the year. And... Ariza just could not buy a bucket at all. Uh, and that's really the difference. And when you lose by one, it's like, 
That's really what it is. But as for Troy Brown, so Troy Brown tonight, nine points, five boards, four assists, four for six from the field, one for two from three, 18 minutes. He shot the ball from three okay. I don't think over a larger sample size that would keep up if he sustains as the player that he is today. I think the thing that's impressed me the most since he started, since he entered the rotation, what was it, about five games ago, he's got this, this uncanny knack to just find the ball, which is, is kind of in some ways this uncoachable thing where like he's really good at getting long rebounds. Like almost all of his rebounds, and he's been rebounding well, and almost all of his rebounds have just been long rebounds, which is a much more important skill today than it was 10 years ago when you got all the three-pointers and all the misses. Tom Haberstroh just wrote a great piece of this. It's a lot more important today. You could have a guy who can scramble for loose balls, scramble for, for, for long rebounds, that kind of stuff, and it's not just like hustle. It's not. He, he had a rebound two or three games ago where a shot from the, a weak side jumper was going to miss short. And he came all the way from the strong side while the ball was in the air and ran directly in a straight line to the place where the rebound was going to ricochet and was ended up being the guy who got the rebound. That is an amazing skill. You know, I was covering the Thunder. If you talk to Billy Donovan about Russell Westbrook's rebounding and Russell Westbrook, stat padding stuff aside, like Russell Westbrook, even if you think Russell Westbrook stat pads on 20% of his rebounds, he's a point guard who averages then like nine rebounds a game. He's averaging like 11 a game. So like he is the best rebounding point guard at the very least currently in the NBA and certainly has an argument for being the best rebounding point guard ever. And Troy Brown is taller than Russell Westbrook. And I'm not saying that he's going to reach that level by any means, but the number one reason why Russell Westbrook is such a good rebounder is not necessarily the athleticism or the leaping. You talk to Billy Donovan and then you watch him after you talk to him about this. It's that he is he has this natural ability to be able to see a jump shot while it's in the air and then find where on the floor that's going to go. And the best rebounders are able to do that. And often those are big men because they're usually close to the rim. It's a lot harder to do as a guard. But Troy Brown is good at that. He looks really solid. He doesn't look like the game is moving too fast for him. He's got his rookie moments. He, he'll get hung up on screens. They mostly come defensively. Uh, he'll, he'll misrotate every once in a while. But he's got a nice feel. Like he has moments where you're like, okay, that was a good rotation. He's had some tough assignments. He's had to guard Doncic. He had to guard Kemba tonight. He had to guard some tough guys in the Boston game. Like he has had some difficult defensive assignments, which is interesting that Scott Brooks went from not playing him to, all right, now you're going to guard these ridiculously good basketball players. I'm intrigued by him uh, because I didn't know. I don't really watch the college game. Like I, I didn't know anything about him. Coming into this year, I couldn't really give you, I could tell you what other people thought of him. I could tell you what other people told me about him, but I didn't really have my own opinions. I'm intrigued. Uh, I think his ceiling looks like he could be like a really solid combo guard who might be able to defend a little bit, might be an above average rebounding, like one, two type of guy. If he can learn how to shoot, that's when he really hits his best situation. But from what everybody with the Wizards tells me, he's he's an excellent worker. Everything I hear about him and Thomas Bryant specifically, that those two guys are great workers. They work out together a lot. So like over the summer, those guys would hit each other up and they were at the Wizards gym every day. And the Wizards were super impressed with both of them. 
and kind of both of their work ethics considering one is 19 and one is 21 and they already have this instilled in that. And that's a really important thing. Uh, and everybody will tell you that. Like it's not, sometimes you hear that about people, it's just the company line. I actually believe it about the two of them uh, because everybody just kind of says it unprompted. Uh, so I think it could be good. His floor, I don't know his floor. His floor is probably not being a good player just because I, I don't I don't know him. Uh, you know, most 15 overall picks, their floor is going to be being not a good player. But I think he could be, he could be good. Like he legitimately helps them tonight and there are going to be games where he won't help them at all and he'll help them in the wrong direction because he's 19. But uh, I'm sure... It's encouraging Scott Brooks giving him minutes, and the uh, little production that he's had so far has been encouraging too. Um, another one. Oh, this is something from uh, WizKid620. Feels like Jabari should have been out on that last play instead of Sato. More of an off-ball threat. You feel like the last three minutes were unorganized. So this is a little bit similar to what I was talking about at the beginning. Um, yeah, I feel like they were unorganized to a degree, but... Aside from the stuff that I've already mentioned about the, that final play, I feel like the disorganization was actually more on the fact that Bradley Beal was just having such a down game. Like Beal couldn't make a shot, and he was weird in looking for a shot. I think – so normally, like I, I was expecting Beal to go pick and roll, and I know Cody Zeller's a really nice pick and roll defender. But I was expecting Beal to go pick and roll because that can be his late game bread and butter – he wasn't really doing that. It was a lot of isolation. It seemed like he kind of changed his style because he wasn't making shots. He was kind of frustrated and hunting for like, you know, like when it, when a when a shooter isn't making a shot and he just tries to make one so he can get hot. That's what it looked like to me. And it just, it didn't work. I thought it threw off their offense at the end. Uh, but look, Porter saved him. Jeff Green was okay. They They should have probably won this game. They probably should have won this game, given the fact that Bradley Beal was four for 21, and it was a one-point game. Uh, one more, and Sane Smitty wants me to break down the Wizards' play since the trade. He can't remember a good win. You know, I'd actually say the home win against Minnesota was a good win. But no, I mean, otherwise, there haven't really been good wins. They haven't been playing well. They were playing poorly enough that the fact that they won two out of three games was heralded as like the Wizards have turned it around. If you win two out of three, it's only heralded as they've turned it around if you really weren't playing well to coming into it. So, no, they haven't really had a good win. Other than, you know, Minnesota's not a very good team, and it was at home, but I thought they did play really well against Minnesota. The offense was just, it was killer. Everybody was hot, and I thought they did well. They, they played well at Brooklyn, for about three and a half quarters. And then they fell apart once they had the game won. But they were up 20-something on a 500 team on the road. Who's playing well. So that, that was that was a good win also, I guess. Since the trade, I mean, if you talk about if they're better or worse without Otto. Look at what Otto's doing in Chicago, man. And look, part of it is like, I was saying it all year. Scott Brooks was saying it all year. At some point, Otto Porter's going to hit shots. Like Otto Porter was a 44% three-point shooter. For two years, he's not just going to become a 37% three-point shooter for no reason at all. At some point, it makes sense that he is going to progress to the mean. And that's happening. And as I'm talking right now, Otto is killing it in another game for Chicago. But they're worse. Like, Otto was by far the best player involved in that deal, even if 
he was on an expensive contract. And you look at the way he's playing, and part of it is what I was talking about. It's just like eventually he's going to make shots, and now he's shooting like over 50% from three in Chicago. But part of it is that he's actually getting shots. Like he can catch a rhythm. His usage rate is like 23%, which is way higher than it was any season in in, uh, in Washington, even after John Wall got hurt. The Wizards just didn't make an effort to get him the ball. So like you watch the way that his shot, that it's happening, and you understand why this is the time where he got hot. Like, yes, I think part of this was inevitable, but I also think like the Bulls are treating Otto Porter like he's a good player, and the Wizards often didn't. And part of it was on Otto for shooting the ball, or for not shooting the ball, because he's definitely a passive personality on the court. But part of it was on them to get it to him. So I assume that was insane. Smitty asking me to talk about Otto for a bit. Uh, that's that is it for today. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, I'll be back tomorrow after the Timberwolves game. Uh, we'll see where the Wizards are at after that one. I mean, they're uh, they're four back in the loss column of eight right now. They could still be four. I don't know. I don't remember if Orlando plays tomorrow night. I don't remember tomorrow's schedule. But you know what? You can look that up. Subscribe to Wizards After Dark. I'll have a guest tomorrow. You can listen to my guest speak as opposed to listening to me speak the entire time. Uh, Give us five stars on iTunes. Leave a review. The reviews are super nice when you leave them. Only if they're really nice reviews. But they're really nice if they're nice. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow. I'll talk to you guys then.